Okay, I'm glad you're here. Um, a lot of ideas to share. So, so everybody knows that the Torah is a blueprint of creation, and sometimes we see it more clearly than other times. But this is one of these moments where we see really the, 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 the expansiveness and the completeness of everything that's included in the Torah. Um, we're finishing Parshas, uh, or Sefer Shmos, uh, also known as the Book of Exodus. And herein sort of like finishes up the, 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 the massiveness, really, of the, of the vision of the Jewish people in this world. I heard Rabbi Wolf uh, say something very beautiful. He called um, the book of Exodus, Sefer Shmos, he called it um, the book of purpose. The book of purpose, which I really like because um, it tracks, as we know, our enslavement in Egypt to becoming free, to receiving the Torah at Mount Sinai, to then constructing the Mishkan, which, um, which we know at this point is more than just like, you know, I think it's such a quaint word, a uh, quaint phrase also, the tabernacle in the desert, you know? It, it, it just, uh, I don't know, doesn't do it for me. Um, but it's, the, it, it's this dwelling place, it's this microcosm of the entire universe, which was constructed by the great Betzalel, who we were told was 13 years old when he did it, and had such a massive vision and intuitiveness, and labored so hard, in fact, Many people worked on the Mishkan. But because Betzalel was not only in charge, but because he put all of his effort and strength into it and devoted himself to it to such an, an incredible extent, it, it, it was as though he built it. So we say Betzalel built it. But that was really um, a tribute by God to Betzalel for his extraordinary devotion to, to the project. Um, so great was Betzalel um, that, that he was even able to correct Moshe Rabbeinu. How so? Moshe instructed Betzalel, he said, what you should do is, he said, build the, the furnishings of the base of Migdash, and then build the, the, the um, or rather the Mishkan, build the furnishings, and then build the tabernacle itself. And he saw that Betzalel did it in reverse. First, he built the actual structure of the building itself, and then he made the furnishings. And Moshe said to him, wait a second, I told you to do the opposite. I told you to make the furnishings first. And Betzalel said back to him, well, if I were to build the furnishings first, where am I going to put them? Doesn't it make sense to first build the house and then put the furnishings in the house. And then Moshe said, oh yeah, that's right, that's the way God told me to do it. And so he praised Betzalel greatly, and he said, you are in the shadow of Hashem. It's like you were, you were listening to when Hashem told me, so to speak. And of course, if you break down the word Betzalel, Kael, El, the last uh, part of his name, is, is one of the names of Hashem. And Betzalel means in the shade of or in the shadow of. So, so to speak, Betzalel had this exalted understanding of the project that he was even able to fine-tune Moshe Rabbeinu's words. And, of course, Moshe confirmed that these, this was in sync with what God himself had told him. 
Now, it goes deeper in terms of Betzalel's knowledge. It says that Betzalel was actually able to be given the, the knowledge of how to combine the letters that Hashem used to create the world itself. And I was looking at the word Betzalel uh, during the Torah reading this week, and I saw something that sort of like blew my mind, which is that if you look at the name of Betzalel, it begins with the letter Bez. Well, the letter Bez is the first letter of the Torah. And it ends, Betzalel, with the letter Lamed. Lamed is the last letter of the Torah. So here contained in Betzalel's name is the first letter and the last letter of the Torah. And we're told that he had a mastery over the letters of the Torah itself that God used to make creation. And of course, the Mishkan is a microcosm, a miniature of creation. So there we see, contained within Betzalel himself, is this awesome knowledge. And we know that one's name is a, is a blueprint of one's mission in this world. So there we see in Betzalel's name itself that he was charged with, blessed with, this ability to bring the Mishkan into the world in all of its beauty and perfection. Now we know that that our job is to turn the world into a dwelling place for Hashem, for God. That the whole world should be a structure. And so that's why I said that the, 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 the term tabernacle, or even Mishkan itself, is, is, is a little bit quaint, because when the Torah is really talking about it, and it spends, the Torah spends an enormous amount of time. It says in five different occasions... It's really talking about, in great chunks, in five different places, all of the details of the building of the Mishkan. And, and you know, in just in terms of uh, pages, nothing rivals it in the entire Torah. The amount of time talking about the construction of the Mishkan. And that's because, we understand on a deeper level, we're not just talking about a building. We're talking about the transformation of the entire world into a dwelling place for God. And that is, understandably now, how the whole book of Shmos, of Exodus, ends. We're going from slavery to the transformation in the entire world of the dwelling place of Hashem. Now, there's something, even within this extraordinary laying out and time devoted to, to the Mishkan, there's something additionally extraordinary which is that an entire parsha of the Torah, an entire chunk of the Torah, Parsha's Pekude, which is the last parsha, the last section of the book of Exodus, is now, in retrospect, an accounting of everything that they did. In other words, first it says, you have to do this, and here's what you should do, and then it talks about them doing it, and then building it, and everything like that, and then at the end it says, and this is what they did. And there's very little new information in it. It's just a recap of everything that they did. Okay. Now, now we can go deeper. So at the beginning of Pekude, remember we're saying that the Torah is the vision, the vision of the entire world, the blueprint of the entire world. And it doesn't just contain the past, it doesn't just contain what's going on in the world right now. Every week's Parsha 
is the real headlines. You want to read the real news of what's going on in the world? It's in this week's Parsha. And it also contains the future. But how far does it go into the future, right? It goes so far into the future. So we're going to see, we're going to see just a taste of it right now. You know, Parsha's Pekude, the accounting, right? The accounting, the summary of everything that was done. It begins, the first Pasuk uses the words Mishkan, Mishkan. It repeats the word Mishkan. Mishkan, Mishkan. It's actually Hamishkan, Mishkan. So it uses the word tabernacle twice. I'll read it to you. These are the reckonings of the tabernacle, the tabernacle of testimony, which were reckoned at Moshe's bidding. The labor of the Levium was under the authority of Itamar, son of Aaron the Kohen. Okay, but you see here this very striking double use of the word Mishkan as it's looking back and reflecting. Now, you know, you have to concentrate for a moment to follow this. But this is the ultimate future in retrospect. What does that mean, the ultimate future in retrospect? Can you imagine, just to give you, just to talk it out, just to explain the concept. Imagine you're a grandparent, okay? Now, let's say you're not a grandparent right now, but imagine that you are a grandparent in the future, and you're looking back and you're describing your life. So, you're looking back on your life from the standpoint of the future, Right? Let's say you're celebrating your 90th birthday. And you're looking back on your life. You're describing your life. Even though right now you're less than 90. Does everyone get that idea? The idea of you're projecting yourself into the future. And then from the standpoint of the future, you're looking back and you're recounting your life. That's this notion of Mishkan, Mishkan. Okay, we're not there yet. Got to get deeper still. When we look at the first word of the Torah, when we look at the first letter of the Torah, the first word of the Torah is Breshis. The first letter of the Torah is the letter Bez. And we know that this letter Bez stands for two. It's the second letter of the alphabet. And it's talking, about, it's talking about all these amazing parents that are part of the essence of this world. And we've talked about many of them before, but we've never concentrated on this one like we're going to do right now. But just to recap so that you see the enormity of the first letter of the Torah, we have the concept of body and soul. That's two. We have heaven and earth, right? That's two. We have good and evil, that's two. We have the Yetzirah and the Yetzirah, our two inclinations, that's two. We have spirituality and materialism, that's two. All of these 
amazing, amazing counterforces which are implanted in this world. In the very first letter of the Torah. But you know what we also have? And before, before I, I tell you, this next, this next pairing, this next two, let me just set it up a little bit. Remember, the Mishkan itself, which is also the base of Migdash, the Mishkan itself was a microcosm of the entire universe. And it was a vision, it was a vision of everything being in its proper place. And so it makes sense that Sefer Shmos, that the book of Exodus would finish with everything being in its proper place, right? Okay. So then what's this concept at the very, very end, the accounting, the future vision being told in retrospect? What's this this idea of Mishkan Mishkan? Why the double repetition of Mishkan? Because it's talking about not only this world, but the world to come. It's talking about the post Tachias Amesim world. The world that will exist after the resurrection of the dead as well. So in other words, from the point of view of the ultimate future, of the ultimate, ultimate future, after the dead have been resurrected, now it's looking back, if you want to know what Pakude is, it's the ultimate vision, it's the accounting, it's the summary, it's the future. And from the standpoint of that future, looking back on the history of the world. Mishkan, Mishkan, which is hinted at in the letter Bays of Breshis. Two, not just this world, but the perfected world that's coming. Not just our world, not just our work in terms of ordering the world that we're in right now, but after we order this world, the world that's going to follow. And all of this is implanted in the initial vision of the Torah. And now I want to talk in the here and now in terms of our own lives. And I want to segue into the concept of the menorah and show you how this ties together with the menorah. The menorah, by the way, you know, it says that we're, we're, we're the children of prophets. And that when we do things, when we select certain things, even in today's age when we don't have outright prophecy, nonetheless, if there's significant decisions that are made in contemporary society which have the taste of prophecy to them. And I'll give you an example. When the state of Israel picks a symbol to symbolize the Jewish people, you've got to believe that that's got to be a very momentous choice. Right? They didn't pick an egg roll. You know, that's not... What, what they did pick, what they did pick means something. There's a taste of prophecy in it, is what I'm trying to say. Look at it. Look at the money of Israel. Look at all the symbols of Israel. There's the menorah. The menorah, and by the way, not the menorah of Hanukkah, which is interesting. That would be deep in and of itself, if it was the menorah of Hanukkah. Because the menorah of Hanukkah has eight branches. But this is the menorah of the Beis HaMikdash, of the Mishkan. That's the symbol. It's one with seven branches. 
which stands for the seven days of the week. Now, what I'm telling you, on a very practical level, is many of us experience this either directly or on a lesser level. But we're all terrifically challenged by life, and we're all terrifically challenged by the concept of our potential, and it manifests itself in a very strange way, oftentimes called perfectionism. And this idea of perfectionism is, I must be perfect. And oftentimes, this is a tool of the Yetzirah, the evil inclination. The way it works is, you know what? If you can't do it exactly right, don't bother doing it at all. So instead of being able to get something accomplished, in the name of idealism, you get nothing accomplished. This is the work of evil. You know what? I'd like to try to do it, but you know what? I'm only going to be able to do this much of it. I'd love to light candles on Shabbos, but I don't keep Shabbos, so why should I even bother lighting candles? And then the Yetzirah comes and makes it even worse. It tries to make a merit out of one's giving up entirely. And it tells you, you know what? How can you light candles, Shabbos candles, if you don't keep Shabbos? If you do such a thing, you're being a hypocrite. So now, the Sahara comes and tells me not to light candles, and now I'm the emblem of truth. I'm not a hypocrite. <laughs> so look what it's done. It's gotten me to throw away the mitzvah, which I can do. A person is permitted to light candles, even if they're not keeping Shabbos. Of course, it's a separate mitzvah. In fact, I'll tell you how far it goes. If you have um, head to fill in and arm to fill in, most people think of to fill in as, two, as one mitzvah. But the reality is, is that it's actually two separate mitzvahs. We happen to do them together, but it's two separate mitzvahs. If one only has, for one reason or another, the arm to fill in, say, you can say, ah, why should I put on just the arm to fill in? I can't do the mitzvah. No, what, that's, that's a separate mitzvah. So, and I'll tell you what else is a separate mitzvah. Not actually even completing a mitzvah. Just laboring within a mitzvah. Let's say I'm like, okay, so, you know what? The truth is is that uh, I know I'm supposed to wait a certain amount of time between eating meat and having dairy. Right? That's one of the laws of keeping kosher. So I got to a kosher restaurant, and I had a kosher hamburger, which for me, say, you know, at this level was, was a big deal. But now, um, but now I, I can't, well, now I can't wait uh, the amount of time. So I, have, uh, so I have some ice cream, let's say right after. So you say to me, well, you didn't keep the mitzvah of keeping kosher. Well, but wait a second, I ate a kosher hamburger. That, that was the mitzvah keeping kosher. Okay, I didn't do the entire thing. There's another idea in keeping kosher, and I didn't get that part. But you're going to tell me that I didn't keep kosher? I absolutely kept kosher at that moment. 
even on Shabbos, you say, okay, so maybe, maybe I'm going to take a, a bus someplace, or maybe I'm going to do something else on Shabbos. So, it's not so much keeping Shabbos. But right now, I'm sitting in my house. Or right now, I'm walking down the street. Right now, I'm not doing anything. So I should have the kavanah, the intention right now. Right now, I'm keeping Shabbos. So even within a mitzvah, even within a mitzvah, it's a mitzvah to do a part of a mitzvah. And the Yetzirah wants to come and tell you, if you're not doing it absolutely perfect, then you're not doing it at all. The example I also like to think about, imagine a doctor prescribes you a certain amount of medication. Okay? And he says... You know, you should, take, um, you should take three of these pills every single day. And let's say for whatever reason you can't afford to. You can't afford the whole medication. So you take two pills a day. Would the doctor call you a hypocrite? <laughs> you're a hypocrite. You claim to be taking medicine. And then here we see you're not really taking the medicine. I'm not in a place in my life where I can take the whole medicine right now. Prison's not a hypocrite. Person is trying. That effort is real. Perfectionism comes to try to uproot someone and try to cut them off and try to make them depressed and try to tell them that anything that they're doing, if it's not 100%, doesn't count. It's not true. Everything counts. Even the most wicked people, even the most wicked people, it's God. You see it in many places in the Torah where God says, you know something like, for instance, the early residents of the land of Israel, before the Jews came in, they were doing all sorts of idolatry and they were throwing their babies into fires, you know, as sacrifices to the gods. All sorts of horrendous, horrendous activities, you know. And yet, it says, God says, you know something? We have to wait until their, their level of, um, you know, mistakes, however, whatever word you want to use, reaches a certain point, and then, okay, they'll leave the land. But God counts even people who aren't doing great things, everyone is doing good. And God counts the good of every single person, and there's no contradiction. God doesn't have any lack of spreadsheets. It's not like, well, you know, we only have the, the, the good spreadsheet over here, so, you know, we, don't, we haven't got any room for the other things. A person can do good and don't think that, oh, I did bad, so that knocked off the good. No. Okay, a person did something not so great. They can fix that thing, whatever it is. But it doesn't eliminate the good that all of us are doing. So we have to be very, very clear on that. So, so what's the point? What's the point on a deeper level? now? In the very first letter of the Torah itself, even before creation, it says the soul of Mashiach, the soul of the great Redeemer of the whole world, was created even before the world was created. In the Bays of Breshis, you already hear a taste, a hint, at the future perfected world. Techias Emesim, Mishkan Mishkan, after the world is completely perfected. You already see that perfection was implanted in the world. From the very beginning. It's not up to you to be perfect. It is up to all of us to try our best. Is that 
People are created with Yetzirahs, with evil inclinations. It says, Shlomo Amelech says, King Solomon says, that the righteous person falls down seven times in this world and gets back up. If you were to ask me, what's the definition of a righteous person? Before I knew that, I would have said, a righteous person is someone who never makes a mistake. Say a revolutionary definition for righteousness. And this is coming from King Solomon, the wisest of humans. Shlomo Amalek says, the definition of righteousness is one's desire to rededicate themselves always. Seven stands for this world, like seven days of the week, and we're going to get to that in a moment in terms of the menorah. One's desire to rededicate themselves to higher ideals, to the good, to God, that's the definition of righteousness. The very definition of righteousness. Not the righteous person is ultimately the person who will never make a mistake ever. You don't see that definition. Not only that, but it says further, there's no such thing as a person who never makes a mistake. It says that in the Tanakh itself. There's no such thing. It doesn't exist. It doesn't exist. So, so if that's the case, that must mean that the most that I can do is to try my hardest and to try my best. It doesn't mean that I'm supposed to make mistakes and that if I make mistakes that I shouldn't care about it or that I shouldn't try not to make mistakes. That's not the point. The point is, is that it's not up to you to bring perfection into the world. Perfection already exists in the world. And if we all try our best, then perfection will come to the world in its entirety. Because God will bless the world with the ultimate rectification. And now let's get into this more deeply. So isn't it interesting that the symbol of the Jewish people, really, the state of Israel, now it's funny because the state of Israel is, officially speaking, a secular entity. You know, but obviously... It's, there's more to it than that, right? In, the, in certain prayer books, they call it the first flowering of redemption. Right? So, you know, it's, it's, it's very clear that the, that the, that the state of Israel is, is, is it's more than, it's, it's more than just, a, you know, a chair in the United Nations, obviously. So here we have the menorah, which also symbolizes the Torah. Interestingly, the gematria for the word menorah is the same as the gematria for the word ish, which means fire. And we know the Torah, the, the, the menorah, stands for the Torah. So all the chachamim, all the sages say that the menorah stands for the Torah. And we know that the Torah itself is black fire written on white fire. So it's interesting that menorah and Aish have the same gematria, because both of them are describing Torah from different points of view. Now, I'll tell you something interesting about the menorah. Every day, they would light the menorah, and do you know where they would take the fire from? They would take the fire 
from, there was a, a korban, a sacrifice, on the Mizbeach, on the holy altar, in the, in the Mishkan, in the base of Mikdash, that would burn throughout the night. There was always a fire going, bless you, there was always a fire going on the altar. And they would take the fire from the altar, and they would use that to light the menorah. Now, if you understand that the menorah gives off light, and light is inspiration, it gives you a, a key insight at a very practical level into our own lives. Where does inspiration come from? Inspiration comes from avoda, from work. Because when we bring sacrifices to the altar, that was called avoda, which means work. So in other words, if you want the beginnings of inspiration, if you want the light that lights the menorah, Work yields inspiration. Is that clear? Is that clear? And I'll tell you something. I've seen it in my own life on an artistic level, but I know that this is true for everything, that a lot of times, let's say I'm writing something, during the process of writing itself, which is labor, which is work, you'll be inspired from the very process of writing with new ideas. In other words, the idea that will come to you while you're working and while you're in the midst of writing won't come to you while you're sitting in a chair necessarily. Sometimes you'll get those ideas and that level of inspiration as well. You're walking down the street, you get an idea. But a lot of times, a lot of times the inspiration comes when you are doing the labor of the work itself. Okay. But again, I want to get deeper. The branches of the menorah, the menorah that was in the Mishkan, in the base of Migdash, there were seven branches. Now, that seventh branch stands for Shabbos. And interestingly, where do you think the seventh branch of the menorah was positioned? You would think, well, you probably go sequentially, so it would probably be all the way on the end. So the answer is, the seventh branch was actually in the middle. And you had three branches on either side pointing toward the middle, which shows you that everything is leading up to the seventh day. All of human history, all of world civilization, is leading up to the seventh day, is leading up to the perfection that awaits the world, that was implanted before the world was even created. Everything is driving toward that perfection. The six days of the week we work, and we work to rest on the seventh day. Human history is 6,000 years, the Gomorrah says. That correlates with the six days of creation. We labor for those 6,000 years in order to bring about the era of Mashiach, the era of redemption. So everything is pointed toward the middle, which is the focus, which is the goal from the very beginning of creation, is the end of creation. Now the seventh day, the seventh day itself was supposed to be the end of history. Let's go back to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. They're created, if you remember, on the sixth day. And it's Arab Shabbos. It's before Shabbos, which is supposed to be the great Shabbos. It's going to be the end of everything, the end of history. And, and unfortunately, 
they slash we, right? Because it's all of us. We're all an aspect of Adam and Eve. We ate from the tree of knowledge. And now all of a sudden, we pushed off. We pushed off the seventh day. So, seen from this point of view, I heard Rabbi Green put it in these terms one time, all of world history from that moment on is Arab Shabbos. Because what we did was we just prolonged the sixth day. So all of history is just, we're on the precipice of Shabbos. Because our tradition is, is that Mashiach can come any day. Any day. Which means we're hanging. We're hanging for thousands of years now. We've been hanging right on the precipice of the great Shabbos. But let's get back to the original sixth day. So human beings were created. And we could have gotten to that seventh day, which would have been the great Shabbos. Now, there's an interesting mitzvah in the Torah. It's called Hashavas Aveda. Hashavas Aveda means it's the obligation to return lost objects. Now, listen to this. If I, if I return something to you that you lost, that means that it was yours to begin with, Right? And I'm bringing it back to you because it was yours. It was always yours. You just lost it. Now, if you never had it to begin with, if I give you that same object, it's just a present. It's something new. But if it was always yours and I give it to you, I'm just returning a lost object. So, the seventh day was built into creation. That perfection was built into creation from the very beginning. The seventh day, it was part of the plan. Hashava Saveda, if you read that same phrase a different way, Hashava Saveda, again, remember, means to return a lost object. Hashavas is the exact same letters. You can pronounce Hashavas a different way. Hashabat. Aveda, which means the lost Sabbath. That perfection which was built into the world, which is ours, it's ours, but it's been lost to us, but it was given to us. It's part of creation. It belongs to us, but it's been lost for thousands of years. It will be returned to us. Now listen to this. So when you talk about the menorah now, and you envision the menorah with its seven branches, the menorah itself then becomes a blueprint for the perfection of the world, because all of the seven branches are there. Is that correct? So that means the perfection of this world, the six days of labor leading up to the seventh day of perfection. The gematria for menorah is the same gematria as the word rofecha, which means, I am your healer. And it's referring to the Pasuk where Hashem, God tells us, I am Hashem, your healer. Meaning to say, that when we reach the seventh day, that will correlate with the entire healing of the world. And you know, it hit me one time, 
if you want to taste, it's kind of a, it's kind of a, 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 a way out way of understanding God's goodness. But if you'll permit me. In the end of days when Mashiach comes, we'll be completely healed. And the world itself will be completely healed. Now, if you think about what that means, that it doesn't hurt anymore. When you're completely healed, it doesn't hurt anymore. Can you imagine how good God is? Because think about how much suffering has gone on in the world before Mashiach has come. Can you imagine how good God must be to make you forget all of that pain that occurred? That means God has to be really, really good. (laughs) And you know what? He is. He's that good. But now think about the Holocaust for a moment. I mean, really to get way out, right? How good does God have to be that he can even compensate for that? It's got to be off the charts good. I mean, dimensions beyond anything that we can even comprehend good. But it's that good. He's that good. He's that good. So awesome. That's just like awesome. But that's, that's where we're heading. That's the future. You know, Rabbi Green talked about it. It's very important for us to understand. We're not supposed to do mitzvahs in order for the reward that we're supposed to receive. However, we're completely uneducated unless we understand the reward we're supposed to receive. So we have to understand the reward for a mitzvah, not for doing the mitzvah, although sometimes if you don't want to do a mitzvah, you can think about the reward that you'll receive, and that will motivate you to want to do the mitzvah. So it's then, then that's good. Then that's good. It may not be completely perfect on the level that we said before, but, but don't be fooled by that. If you're feeling lazy, think about, oh, if I only do this thing, the reward I'm going to receive, 100% kosher. Go, do it that way. Okay, so now let's understand what the reward of the next world is, because it's very important. So imagine all of the pleasure that you've ever experienced bodily in your lifetime, right? Now, or the greatest moment of your pleasure. Now, imagine an entire, all the lifetime, the collective greatest pleasurable moments all at once. Now, imagine the, all of the collective pleasurable moments of the entire world throughout history, okay? One moment in the next world is greater than all of that pleasure. Because we're talking dimensions beyond this dimension. In other words, you say, well, how could that be? How could that be? Because we're dealing with an entirely different structure in the next world. It says, remember, Rav Yitzhak Isaac Chaber says that what's going to happen is, you see, you see, we have four basic elements that God made the world out of. We have fire, air, water, and earth. Okay? These are the four basic elements. What's going to happen, earth, it correlates with the four letters of Hashem's name. The Yud and the He and the Vav and the He. Now the bottom He, right, 
Remember, in, in the first three letters of Hashem's name, the letter He already appears. The bottom He is a combination of the first three letters. Okay? So in other words, the earth as it exists is a combination of fire, water, and air. And that combines to make earth. Rabbi Yitzhak Isaac Chaver gives us an insight into God's secret cookbook, so to speak. What's going to happen in the next world? In the Mishkan Mishkan, right? The second Mishkan, right? Which is hinting at the future post Tehiasamesim, resurrection, resurrected world, the resurrection of the dead. God is going to combine the first three letters of his name in a new way. Because you see, we have a very important teaching from King Solomon, from Shlomo Melech, which says there's nothing new under the sun. So if God is going to bring in a new order of creation, how can he do that if there's nothing new under the sun? So the answer is, he's going to take the existing elements, the existing elements, the ones that are already here, fire, water, and air, and he's going to recombine them in a new way and produce a new reality. That awaits all of us. And can I tell you something? I would like to tell you, from my standpoint, the review is already in. It's fantastic. (laughs) It's better than I even imagined. (laughs) But let's get back to this notion of pleasure, because it's, it's very important. What, what are we talking about in terms of wild degrees of, of pleasure? Okay, and, and I'm, I, I understand that this is sounding somewhat hedonistic, and I, I apologize for that. Um, but, but nonetheless, this is probably the best way that we can comprehend it, you know? God gives us our, our bodies in order to understand spiritual teachings, so... So to this extent, I, I, I imagine it's, it's, it's uh, helpful to, to use this as an example. There will be one moment where we experience that bliss, and then the next moment will be, it will be like, Whoa! 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 In other words, each moment will be even greater and more mind-blowing than the previous moment, And that goes on for all eternity. Now I ask you, is that worth investing in? Yes. Good answer. (laughs) It is worth investing in. I mean, it's it's a no-brainer. It's a no-brainer. It's a no-brainer. doesn't mean it's not challenging. Because, you know, what happens is we get into a place of constricted consciousness. Which means that we're not thinking, we're not thinking about the destiny of the world. We're not thinking about the eternality of our souls. We're th- just thinking of, I'm hungry. I'm angry. <laughs> Why did he do that? Why hasn't that person called? <gasps> ah! And then we get just so focused on the moment, and we forget about, we forget about the big picture. We forget about the mishkan mishkan. We forget about the fact that. This world is driving inexorably, inexorably toward perfection. 
Because can I ask you something, just on a very practical level? Why would God, why would a, a being, I mean, he's beyond a being, why would, why would God, who's capable of creating all of this beauty, mountains, the Grand Canyons, the Alps, the human being, a cell, nah, poker, you know, all, all, all these incredible things, right? Why would God make a broken world that was never going to be fixed? Why? I mean, it just, I mean, just theologically, it doesn't make any sense. That God was capable of creating trillions, you heard me right, and it's probably a bigger number, trillions of galaxies, but he couldn't get it right. It's like, oh, you know, I'm great at galaxies. I'm great at, you know, I'm great at subatomic particles. I'm great at, like, impressionism, you know? But you know what? I just, uh, I almost got it right. <laughs> just, uh, I wasn't able to make it absolutely perfect. I mean, come on! You know, I came up with hamburgers. I mean, that's pretty darn good. And french fries. I mean, give me a break. You think, is it comprehensible that God... Is not God who created all of this is not capable of ultimate perfection? Is it even I mean, anyone who's like an honest thinker and who beholds the universe. God only got this far. He was only this good. The, the very the very idea doesn't make any sense. So what does that mean? That means what I tell you every single week when you come here. We're in the process. We're in the middle. It's coming. It's coming. For sure it's coming. For sure it's coming. It's not even a question. So... So what comes after what comes after this vision of perfection? Mishkan Mishkan, right? It's looking back. It's already there. It's not like the Torah is hinting at it. Mishkan Mishkan. Remember, the Mishkan is a microcosm of the universe. Betzalel begins with the letter Bays. It's hinting at already the two worlds. This world and the perfected world. The post Techiasamasim world. It's not like Mishkan, okay, well, Mishkan, Mishkan, it's already there. It already exists in potential. We're just, we're on our way. It's already there. But interestingly, does the Torah end with that? Well, the the Torah kind of does end with that. Again, on on a very deep level, you see something kind of interesting, which is, you know, the very last words of the entire Torah are Le'ene kol Yisrael, before the eyes of all of Israel. Those are the last three words of the Torah itself. You want to hear something kind of interesting? The very last uh, Pasuk of Breshis says, see if you hear a, a little hint of the end of the Torah itself. It's talking about the completed Mishkan. For the cloud of Hashem would be on the tabernacle by day, and fire would be on it at night. 
before the eyes of all of the house of Israel throughout their journeys. Hinting at, because we're saying that this is the end of history, the end of the book of Exodus, of Shmos, it's hinting at the end of history. And we know that the Torah itself, the five books are a microcosm of all of history. So wouldn't it make sense, since there's an overlap there, in terms of those twin visions, that there should be some, some hint of the end of the Torah itself at the end of the book of Shmos? So there you see it. But look, interestingly, we're focusing on the structure of the world. Mishkan, Mishkan, right? So what does it say? It doesn't just say, Le'ene kol Yisrael, before the eyes of Israel. Listen to what it says. It says, um, sorry, let me just find it. It says, Le'ene kol beis Yisrael. Before the eyes of the house of Israel. Now, base Israel in this context really means the congregation, the people Israel. But base is the same word as by it, which means house. Which we're saying the whole world is a house. It's talking about the perfection of the house itself. So the language is a little bit different. But again, it's, 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 it's hinting at the very end, the very, very end, which is why it's using the same phrase as the very end of the Torah itself. So then, interestingly, interestingly, what comes after this? Vayikra. And Vayikra is the beginning, it's called Sefer Avodah, which is the book of work. So now that Hashem presents us a vision of the entire perfected world, what does He say? Okay, go to work. Go to work. Yeah, yeah. Get on it. Now go to work. Um, Otherwise we would have nothing to do. Yeah. That's what we're waiting for. <laughs> um, so Hashem should bless us that we really should be able to to, to see it with our own eyes. You know, I, I'll tell you something, just on a personal level, I... Uh, You've heard me speak of Rabbi Wolfson, I think, before, many times, and he's really one of the biggest rabbis, and, uh, and I, I was on the phone with him one time, the first time I ever spoke with him, I've only spoken with him a couple of times, but first time I ever spoke with him, and, uh, and he ended the phone call, it was a short phone call, I had a question for him, and he answered it, and uh, he ended the phone call with a blessing, he said, he said, you should see Mashiach with your own eyes. So, with our own eyes, we should be able to behold not just all of our effort, but all of our effort as the culmination of all the effort of all the previous generations. You know, there's a beautiful phrase that the Lubavar Terebi himself used, which is that if you think of us being the very last generation, how could it be there have been so many greater generations? So we refer to us as midgets standing on the shoulders of giants. Right? Um, and uh, I'll take it. <laughs> okay, have a great week.